giant robot smashing into other giant robots. We are thrilled to announce the third session of our new incubator program. If you have a business idea that involves a web or mobile app, we encourage you to apply to our eight-week program. We'll help you validate your market opportunity, experiment with messaging and product ideas, and move forward with confidence toward an MVP. Learn more and apply at tbot.io slash incubator. That's T-B-O-T dot I-O slash I-N-C-U-B-A-T-O-R. We look forward to seeing your application in our inbox. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chad Pytel, and with me today is Peter Voss, CEO and Chief Scientist at iGo AI. Peter, thanks so much for joining me. Yes, thank you. So tell us a little bit about what iGo AI does. You've been working in AI for a long time, and it seems like iGo is sort of the current culmination of a lot of your 15 years of work. So Yes, exactly. So the quick way to describe our current product is a chatbot with a brain. And the important part here is the brain. That basically for the last 15 plus years, I've been working on the core technology for what's called AGI, artificial general intelligence, a system that can think, learn, reason, similar to the way humans do. Now, we're not yet at human level with this technology, but it's a lot smarter and a lot more usable than traditional chatbots that don't have a brain. Mm-hmm. I want to dig into this idea a little bit. I think like a lot of people, I've used the traditional chatbots and particularly like ChatGPT is the latest. I've built some things on top of it. What is the brain? What that makes it different? Especially if you've used one, what is using iGo? going to be different. Right. I can give a concrete example of one of our customers, and then I can talk about the technology. So one of our big customers is the 1-800-Flowers group of companies, which is Harry and David, Popcorn Factory, and several others, and wanted to provide a hyper-personalized concierge service for their customers, where you know the system learns who you buy gifts for, for what occasions, you know, what your relationship is to them, and to basically remember who you are and what you want for each of their 20 million customers. And they tried different technologies out there, you know, all the top brands and so on, and they just couldn't get it off the ground. And the reason is because they really don't learn. And we now have 89% self-service on the things that we've we've implemented, which is pretty much unheard of for complex conversations. So why can we do that? The reason is that our system has deep understanding. So we have deep parsing, a deep understanding, but more importantly, that the system remembers. It has short-term memory, it has long-term memory, and it uses it as context. So, you know, when you call back a second time, it'll remember what your previous call was you know, what your preferences are and so on. And it can basically use that information, the the short and long-term memory and reason about it. And that is really a step forward. Now, until ChatGPT, which is really very different technology from chatbot technology. Right. I mean, chatbot technology, you're assuming the kind of thing we're talking about is really augmenting call center, you know, automating call center calls. There you need deep integration into the customer's backend system. 
Mm-hmm. You obviously need to know what the latest product availability is, what the customer's outstanding orders are, you know, all, all sorts of things like at, you know, delivery schedules. And we probably have like two dozen APIs that connect our system to their various corporate databases and so on. Now, traditional chatbots obviously can do that. You hook up the APIs and do things and it's, you know, it's a lot of work. But traditional chatbot technology really hasn't really changed much in 30 years. You basically have a categorizer. How can I help you? Or basically try to, what is the intent? Intent categorizer. And then once the intent has been identified, you basically have a flowchart type program that, you know, forces you down down a flowchart and that's what makes them so horrible because it doesn't use context. It doesn't have short-term memory. And I just wanted to clarify the product and where you, you mentioned call centers. So so this isn't just or only text-based chat. This is voice. Yes, we started off with chat and we now also have voice. So omni-channel and the beauty of the system having the brain as well as you can jump from text messaging to a chat on the website to Apple ABC to voice, you know, so you can basically move from one channel to another seamlessly. You know, so that's against traditional chatbot technology, which is really what everybody is still using. Now, ChatGPT, of course, the fact that it's called ChatGPT sort of makes it a bit confusing. And I mean, it's phenomenal. The technology is absolutely phenomenal in terms of what it can do, you know, write poems and give you ideas and the amount of information has it's amazing however it's really not suited for commercial grade applications because it hallucinates Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have memory Mm -hmm. you can give it some context but it's basically faking it um you're providing it information every time you start correct the next time you connect that that memory is gone you know unless you build an application that saves it and then feeds it in again. Right. Then you basically run out of context window very quickly. In fact, uh, I just published a white paper about how we can get to human-level AI. And one of the things we did and go over in the paper is we did a benchmark, our technology, where we fed the system about three or 400 uh, facts, simple facts. You know, it might mm-hmm. be my, my sister likes chocolate or, you know, it could be other things like I don't park my car in the garage or, you know. Yep could be just simple uh, facts, uh, a few hundred of those. And then we ask questions about that. Mm-hmm. Now, ChatGPT uh, scored less than 1% on that because, mm-hmm. you know, with an 8K window, it basically just couldn't remember yeah. any of the stuff. So we use- It also doesn't, in my experience, it's basically answering the way it thinks the answer should sound or look. And so it doesn't actually understand the facts that you gave it. Exactly. And so if you feed it a bunch of things which are similar, mm-hmm. it gets really confused because it doesn't actually understand right. uh, the things. It might answer correctly, but it will, in my experience, just as likely answer incorrectly. Yeah. So it's extremely powerful technology for helping search as well. If a company has all of the documents and they... But the human always has to be in the loop. It just makes way too many mistakes, but it's very useful if it gives you information eight out of 10 times uh, and saves you a lot of time. And mm-hmm. and it's easy to de- de- relatively easy to detect the other two times where it gives you wrong information. Now, I know in programming, sometimes it's given me wrong information and ended up taking longer to debug the misinformation it gave me than it would have taken me. But overall, it's still a very, very powerful tool. 
but it really isn't suitable for you know serious chatbot applications that are integrated into backend system because these need to be signed off by legal department needs to be happy that it's not going to get the company into trouble marketing department needs to sign off on it and customer experience you know and a generative system like that you really can't rely on what it's going to say that's apart from security concerns and you know the lack of memory and deep understanding mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned generative AI, which is sort of the one of the underlying pieces of ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. In your solutions, are you using any generative solutions? No, not at all. Well, I, I can give one uh, example. You know, what one eight hundred flowers do is they have a, an option to write a poem for your mother's birthday or, your, mm-hmm. or Mother's Day or something like that. And for that, we will use ChatGPT or they use ChatGPT mm-hmm. for that because that's what it's good at. But, you know, that's really just any other app that you might call up to do something for you, you know, right. like calling up FedEx to find out where your, your goods are. Apart from that, our technology, it's a good question you ask because, you know, statistical systems and generative AI now have really dominated the AI scene for the last about 12 years, really mm-hmm. sort of since DeepMind started. Because it's been incredibly successful to take massive amounts of data and massive amounts of computing power and you know number crunch them and then be able to categorize and identify images and you know do all sorts of magical things. But the approach we use is cognitive AI as opposed mm-hmm. to generative. It's a relatively unknown approach. But that's what we've been working on for 15 years. And it starts with the question of what does intelligence require to build a system? So it doesn't use massive amounts of data. It's not the quantity of data that counts. It's the quality of data. And it's important that it can learn incrementally as you go along, like humans do, and that it can validate what it learns. It can reason about you know, new information. Does this make sense? Do I need to ask a follow-up question? You know, that kind of thing. So it's cognitive AI. That's the approach we are using. And obviously, you have a product and you've productized it. You said you know, we've been working on this or you've been working on this model for a long time. Mm-hmm. How has it progressed? Yes, we are now on, uh, depending on how you count, but on the third major version of it Mm -hmm. that we've started. And really, the progress has been determined by resources, really, than any technology. You know, it's not that we sort of have a big R&D requirement. It's really more development. But we're a relatively small company. And because we're using such different technology, it's actually been pretty hard to raise VC money. You know, they mm-hmm. wouldn't say, you know, ask you, what's your training data? How big is your model? You know, and, and that kind of thing. Oh, so the questions investors or people know to ask aren't relevant. Correct. And, you know, they bring in the AI experts and then they say, well, what kind of deep learning, machine learning or generative or what transformer mm-hmm. model are you using? And we say, well, we don't. And typically that's kind of, okay, well, then it can't possibly work, you know, or we don't understand it. So we just recently launched, uh, you know, with all the excitement of generative AI now recently with so much money flowing into it, we actually launched a major effort, development effort now. We want to hire an additional 100 people to basically crank up the IQ. So over the years, you know, we're working on two aspects of it. The one is to continually crank up the IQ of the system that it can Mm -hmm understand more and more complex situations, uh, can reason better, and 
be able to handle bigger amounts of data. So that's sort of the technical part that we've been working on. But then the other side, of course, running a business, a lot of our effort over the last 15 years has gone into making it uh, industrial strength, you know, security, scalability, robustness of the system. Our current technology, our first version was actually a SaaS model, but we deploy it behind the customer's firewall. Yeah, I noticed that you're you're targeting more enterprise deployments. Yeah, that's at the moment because financially it makes more sense for us to mm-hmm. kind of get off the ground to work with you know larger companies where we supply the technology and it's deployed usually in the in the cloud in but in their own cloud behind their firewall. So they're very happy with that. You know, they have complete control over their data and reliability and and so on. But we provide the technology and then just licensing it. Now, a lot of people familiar with generative AI, you know, it, it runs on GPUs and that kind of thing. Does the hardware profile for where you're hosting it look the same as that or is it different? No, no, no. It requires much less horsepower. So, I mean, we, we can run uh, an, an agent on a five-year-old laptop, you know, and it doesn't, you know, in, instead of it uh, costing $100 million to train a model, it's like pennies you know, <laughs> to, to train the model. Uh, I mean, we train it during our uh, regression testing and that we train it several times a day. Giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Starting a new project, we understand that you want to make the right choices in technology, features, and investment, but that you don't have all year to do extended research. In just a few weeks, ThoughtBot's discovery sprints deliver a user-centered product journey, a clickable prototype or proof of concept, and key market insights from focused user research. We'll help you to identify the primary user flow, decide which framework should be used to bring it to life, and set a firm estimate on future development efforts. Maximize impact and minimize risk with a validated roadmap for your new product. Get started at tbot.io slash sprint. So you mentioned ramping up the IQ is a goal of yours. With a cognitive model, does that mean just teaching it more things? What does it entail? Yes, there's a little bit of tension between commercial requirements and what you ultimately want for intelligence because a truly intelligent system, you want it to be very autonomous and adaptive and have a wide range of knowledge. Now, for current commercial applications we're doing, you actually don't want the system to learn things by itself or to make up the stuff. You know, you want it to be predictable. So the development to ultimately get to full human level or AGI capability requires the system to be more adaptive, be able to learn things more. So the one big change we are making to the system right now is natural language understanding or English understanding in our current commercial version was actually developed through our, we call them AI psychologists, Mm -hmm. our linguists and cognitive psychologists, by basically teaching it the rules of English grammar. And we've always known that that's suboptimal. So with the current version, we are now actually teaching it English from the ground up the way a child might mm-hmm. learn a language. So the language itself, so it can learn learn any language. So for commercial applications, that wasn't really a need, you know, but to ultimately get to human level, it needs to be more adaptive, more autonomous, and have a wider range of knowledge than the commercial version. That's basically where our focus is. 
And, you know, we know what needs to be done, but it's, you know, it's quite a bit of work. That's why we need to hire about 100 people to deal with all of the different training things that it's, it's largely training the mm-hmm. system, you know, but there are also some architectural improvements we need to make on performance and the way the system reasons. Well, you, you used the term artificial general intelligence. I understand you're one of the people who coined that term <laughs> or the person. Yes. Um, in 2002, uh, I got together with two other people who felt that the time was ripe to get back to the original dream of AI, you know, from 60 years ago to build thinking machines, basically. So we decided to write a book on the topic to put our ideas out there. And we're looking for a title for the book. And three of us, myself, Ben Gertzel and Shane Legg, who's actually one of the founders of DeepMind, he was working for me at the time. Uh, we were brainstorming it, and that's what we came up with, AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. So for people who aren't familiar, it's what you you were sort of alluding to. You're basically trying to replicate the human brain, the way humans learn, right? That's the basic idea. Is- yeah, the human cognition yeah. really yeah human mind human cognition that's exactly right i mean we want an ai that can think learn and reason the way humans do mm-hmm. you know that it can hit the books and learn a new topic you know you can have any kind of conversation and we really believe we have the technology to do that we've built quite a number of different prototypes that already show this kind of capability where it can you know, read Wikipedia, integrate that with existing knowledge, and then have a conversation about it. And if it's not sure about something, it'll ask for clarification and things like that. We really just need to scale it up. And of course, it's a huge deal for us to eventually get to human-level AI. Yeah. How much sort of studying of the brain or cognition do you do in, in your work? You know, sort of going back and saying, okay, we want tackle this thing. Do you do research into cognition? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. It really gets to the heart of why I think we haven't made more progress in developing AGI. Uh, In fact, another white paper I I published recently is why don't we have AGI yet? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the big problems is that statistical AI has been so incredibly successful over the last decade or so that it sucked all of the oxygen out of the air. But to your, to your question, before I started on this project, I actually took off five years to study intelligence mm-hmm. because to me, that's really what cognitive AI approach is all about, is you start off by saying, what is intelligence? What does it require? And I studied it from pers- perspective of philosophy, epistemology, theory of knowledge. You know, what's reality? How do we know anything? How can we be sure? You know, that really those most fundamental questions. Then how do children learn? What do IQ tests measure? How does our intelligence differ to animal intelligence? What is that magic difference between, you know, evolution? Suddenly we have this high level cognition. And the short answer of that is being able to form abstract concepts or concept formation is sort Mm -hmm. of key and to have metacognition to be able to think about your own thinking. So those are kind of the things I discovered during the five years of of study. Obviously, I also looked at what had already been done in the field of AI, both in good old-fashioned AI and neural networks and, and so on. So this is what brought me together. So absolutely, as a starting point to say, what is intelligence or what are the aspects of intelligence that are really important and core? 
Now, as far as studying the brain is concerned, I certainly looked at that, but I pretty quickly decided that that wasn't that relevant. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you certainly get some ideas. I mean, neural networks, ours is a, a kind of a neural network or knowledge graph. So there's some similarity with that. But the analogy one often gives, which I think is, is not bad, is, you know, we've had flying machines for 100 years. Yeah. We still nowhere near reverse engineering a bird. Right. So, you know, evolution and biology are just very different from designing things and using the materials that we need to use in, in computers. Yeah. So definitely understanding intelligence, I think, is key to being able to build it. Well, in some ways, that is part of the reason why statistical AI has gotten so much attention with that sort of airplane analogy, because it's like, maybe we need to not try to replicate human cognition. <laughs> maybe we need to just embrace what computers are good at and try to find a different way. Right, right. But that argument really falls down when you say you are ignoring intelligence, you know, or you're mm -hmm. ignoring the kind of intelligence. And we can see how ridiculous the sort of the current well i mean first of all let me say sam altman and everybody says well they say two things one we have no idea how these things work which is not a good thing if you're trying to mm -hmm. build something and improve it and the second thing they say demis asabis and you know every, everybody says that this is not going to get us to human level ai to human level intelligence they realize that this is the wrong approach but they also don't haven't come up with what the right approach is because they are stuck within the statistical big data approach. You know, we need another hundred billion dollars to build even bigger computers and bigger models, you know, but that's really right. It might be creating a tool which has some uses, but it is not actual. I mean, it's not really even Correct. actual artificial it, intelligence. And I mean, you can sort of see this very easily. If imagine you hired a personal assistant for yourself, a human, and you know they, they come to you and they know how to use Excel and do QuickBooks or whatever and know a whole lot of things are so great. They start working with you. But you know, every now and again, they say something that's completely wrong with full confidence. Uh, so that's a problem. Then the second thing is you tell them, well, we've just introduced a new product. We shut down this branch here and, you know, I've got a new partner in the business, a new board member. And the next day they come in and they remember nothing of that. You know, <laughs> that's not very intelligent. Right. No, no, it's not. It's possible that there's a way for these two things to use e each other, like generating intelligent sounding, un understanding what someone is saying and finding like things to it and being able to generate meaningful, intelligent language might be useful in a cognitive model. We obviously thought long and hard about that, especially when, you know, generative AI became so powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it does some amazing things. So can we combine the technology? And the answer is quite simply no. As I mentioned earlier, we can use generative AI kind of as an API or as a tool or something, you know, so our system needs to write a poem or something, then yes, you know, these systems can do a good job of it. But the reason you can't really just combine them and kind of build a Frankensteinian kind of thing is you really need to have context that you currently have fully integrated. So you can't have two brains, you know, the one brain, which is a read-only brain, and mm -hmm. then our brain, our cognitive brain, which basically constantly adapts and uses 
the context of what is heard using short-term memory, long-term memory, reasoning, and so on. So all of those mental mechanisms of deep understanding of context, short-term, long-term memory, reasoning, uh, language generation, they all have to be tightly integrated and work together. And that's basically the approach that we have. Now, like a human to, if you write, you know, generate an essay and you want to have it come up with maybe some ideas changing the style, for example, you know, it would make sense for our system to use a generative AI system like a tool because humans are good tool users. You know, I wouldn't expect our system to be the world chess champion or Go champion. It, it can use a chess playing AI or a Go playing AI to, to do that job. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. You mentioned the um, short-term, long-term memory if I am using or working on a deployment for iGo, is that something that I specify? Like, oh, this thing where we've collected goes in short term versus long term, or does the system actually do that automatically? That's a beauty of the system that it automatically has short and long term memory. So really the only thing that needs to be sort of externally specified is things you don't want to keep in in long-term memory, you know, that for mm. some reason, security reasons, or somebody gives you a password or or whatever. So then uh, they need to be tagged. So we have like an ontology that describes all of the different kinds of knowledge that you have. And in the ontology, you can tag certain branches of the ontology to, or certain nodes in the ontology to say this should not be remembered or this should be encrypted or, or you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But by default, everything that comes into short-term memory is remembered. So, you know, a computer can have photographic memory. Mm-hmm. You know, that is part of why uh, so someone critical of, of what th- they've heard might say, well, you're just replicating a human brain. How is this going to be better? And I think that that's where you're just what you said, like when we do artificial general intelligence with computers, they all have photographic memory. Right. Well, in my presentations, when I give talks on this, I, I have the one slide that actually talks about how AI is superior to humans in as far as getting work done in cognition. And there are actually quite a number of things. So uh, let, let me first kind of give one example here. So imagine you train up one AI to be a PhD level cancer researcher. You know, it goes through whatever training and reading and coaching and so on. So you now have this PhD level cancer researcher. You now make a million copies of that. And you have a million PhD level cancer researchers chipping away at the problem. Now, I'm sure we would make a lot more progress and you can now replicate that idea, that same thinking, you know, in energy, pollution, poverty, whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. any, any, any disease, that kind of approach. So, I mean, that already is one, one major difference that you make copies of, of an AI, which you can't of humans, but there are other things. First of all, they are significantly less expensive than humans. Humans are very expensive. So much lower cost. They work twenty four seven with without breaks, without getting tired. Uh, I don't know, you know, the best human on how many hours they can concentrate without needing a break. Maybe a few mm-hmm. hours a day, or six, maybe four hours a day. So twenty four seven. Then they can communicate with each other much better than humans do, because they could share information sort of in, by transferring 
blocks of data across from one to the mm -hmm. other without the ego getting in the way. I mean, you take humans not very good at sharing information and discoveries, then they don't have certain distractions that we have, like romantic things and kids and schools and, you know. Mm -hmm. Although if you actually do get a full <laughs> AGI, then it might start to have uh, those things. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a whole nother topic. But our AIs, we basically build them not to want to have children. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and then, of course, the things we spoke about, photographic memory, it has instantaneous access to all the information in the world, all the databases, you know, much better than we have. It's like if we had a a direct connection to the internet and brain, you know, but at a much higher bandwidth than we could ever achieve with our wetware. And then lastly, they are much better at reasoning than humans are. I mean, our ability to reason is what I call an evolutionary afterthought. We're not actually that good at logical thinking and AIs can be, you know. We like to think we are though. <laughs> well, you know, compared to animals, yes, definitely we, we are... Uh, significantly better but realistically humans are not that good at rational logical thinking you know i read something that a lot of decisions are made at a different level than the logical part and then the logical part justifies the decision yeah absolutely and in fact this is why smart people are actually worse at that because they're really good at rationalizations you know they can rationalize their weird beliefs and or their weird behavior or, or, or something that's true you mentioned that your primary customers are enterprises. Who, who makes up your ideal customer? And if, if someone was listening who matched that profile and wanted to get in touch with you, what would they look like? The simplest and most obvious way is if they have call centers of 100 people or more, mm -hmm. hundreds or thousands, uh, tens of thousands even. But the economics from about 100 people in the call center where we might be able to save them 50% of that, you know, depending on the kind of business. And are your solutions typically employed before the actual people and then they fall back to people in certain circumstances? Correct. That's exactly right. And, you know, the advantage there is whatever IGO already gathers we then summarize it and pop that to the human operator so that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that the customer that's great, doesn't. Because that's super annoying. It is. It is super <laughs> when annoying. You, when you finally get to a person and it's like, I just spent five minutes providing all this information that you apparently don't have. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's kind of one of the key things that the AI has that information, can summarize it and provide it to the live operator. So that that would be the perf you know, the sort of the most obvious use case. But we also have use cases on on the go with student assistant, for example, where it's sort of more on, on an individual basis. You know, imagine mm. your your kid just starts you know, at university it's just overwhelming. It can have a personal, personal assistant, you know, that knows all about you in particular, but then also knows about the university, knows its way around to where you get your books, your meals, and, you know, different societies and uh, curriculum and, and, and so on. Or diabetes coach, you know, where it can help people mm -hmm. with diabetes manage their meals and activities, where it can learn whether you love broccoli or you're vegetarian or, or whatever and help guide you through that. Internal help desks are another application, of course. Yeah, I was going to say, even the same thing as at a university, when people join a, a big company, you know, there's an onboarding process. Exactly. Yeah. And there can be things that 
you're not aware of or don't know where to find internal hr and it absolutely on as you say on onboarding those are other applications that where our technology is well suited and one other category is what we call a co-pilot so think of it as clippy on steroids you know where basically you have complex software like you know sap or salesforce or something like that and you can basically just have Igo as a front end to it and you can just talk to it and it will know what where to navigate what to get and basically do things complex things in the software and software vendors like that idea because people u- utilize more features of the software than they would would otherwise mm-hmm. you know um, mm-hmm. it's, it, it can accelerate your learning curve and make it much easier to use the product so though you know really the technology that we have is industry and application agnostic to a large extent we're just currently not yet at human level right I hope you get there eventually. It'll be certainly exciting when you do. Yes. Well, we do expect to get there. We just, um, you know, as I say, we've just launched a project now to raise the additional money we need to hire the mm-hmm. people that we need. And we actually believe we're only a few years away from full human level intelligence or AGI. Wow. That's exciting. So if the solution that you currently have and people want to go along for the journey with you, how can they get in touch with Igo? They could contact me directly, Peter at Igo.ai. I'm also active on Twitter, LinkedIn. Cool. We'll include all of those links in the show notes, which people can find at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions for me, Email me at hosts at giantrobots.fm. Find me on Mastodon at cfitel at thoughtbot.social. You can find a complete transcript for this episode as well at giantrobots.fm. Peter, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it and all of the wisdom that you shared with us today. Well, thank you. Good questions. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot, your expert strategy, design, development, and product management partner. We bring digital products from idea to success and teach you how because we care. Learn more at thoughtbot.com.